Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mold Talks Docs. Today, I have a very special guest, a good friend, Dr. Kenneth Bach. Kenny, thanks for being on here today and uh, glad to have you. Pleasure, Michael. My pleasure. All right. So uh, basically, I want to talk about environmental exposures, mold, bacteria, the whole, the whole gamut. I want to talk about what you're seeing in the field, um, the impact that it's having, et cetera. So let's dive right in. Um, obviously, we just talked off camera. We know that mold is a piece of the puzzle, not the whole puzzle. And so really excited to hear everything that you have to offer for people that are, are struggling with their health and looking for the answers that they need. So welcome. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So lots to cover here. One of the things that I wanted to ask you in particular is, you know, just how big of a factor do you think environmental exposures is uh, as a puzzle piece to health? Well, I th actually think it's huge. I mean, you know, for, you know, I've been in practice and I can't believe it's 39 years. <laughs> and so I've seen a lot in 39 years and I've taken care of thousands of kids in the autism spectrum. Now, one of the things I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds of kids with brain inflammation and just uh, inflammatory disorders, a lot of autoimmunity and things. And as we know, you know, genetics are not the answer. Genetics don't make, quote, epidemics. Uh, we always say genetics uh, load the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So um, with the increasing number of kids with chronic childhood disorders, uh, you know, and what I'm seeing right now, a lot of the mood disorders, anxiety, one third of all adolescents, anxiety, 20% of uh, adolescents, especially girls with depression. I mean, these are crazy numbers if you think about it. And uh, there are environmental factors and inflammation is a huge one and the environment contributes to inflammation. Now, there may be some genetics at play in things. So there is that, you know, I like to talk about this whole immune kettle where you're, it's like there are many layers to this kettle that when you get to the top and it boils and overflows, that's when you see symptoms. But the layers are not only one thing. And that's the one thing I, I have a problem with out there that there's the flavor of the month or the six months in a lot of practitioners. And it's not just that. You have to be more eclectic. You have to have more of a sense of the various layers that contribute. And that can be, you know, on top of a genetic predisposition, you can have nutritional deficiencies and insufficiencies. You can have allergies and sensitivities. You can have environmental toxicants. You can have infections. You can have immune imbalances, hormonal imbalances, and of course, stress, which is frequently large and throws people over, but it's not stress alone. It's stress on top of all the other layers. And if we look at mold, mold actually is a lot of overlap because mold is a, a toxicant, it's an irritant, it's also an allergen. So it kind of falls in various uh, levels of the kettle. And it's also one of those ones that is covert and hidden. So, yeah. um, but, you know, so it does impact, it impacts on the immune system and it impacts on the neurological system for sure. Uh, with, you know, with a whole myriad of symptoms. So you have to be conscious of it. I mean, I can tell you, I've seen patients and I, I'm thinking of one now, just coming to me as we speak, uh, somebody that came up from Florida uh, with severe, severe illness. I mean, disabled, a really intelligent person in the legal profession and um, his bad skin lesions, really bad skin lesions. Um, and 
and bad psych symptoms and, and chorea. I don't know if you ever heard of chorea, but chorea is like, it's like the rheumatic fever of the brain where you have like these jerking movements and you can babble almost incomprehensible. And it turns out she had Bartonella, uh, which was something is a tick-borne co-infection, which was very important to treat. But she also had been living in a, in a home with intense mold. And um, that was a huge factor. So she not only had bacterial infection with Bartonella, she had uh, a whole mold thing and a fungal thing. And she had to be treated intensively with anti IV antifungals. And wow. that they obviously had to get out of that environment. And I had a detoxifier, which of course we can talk about a little later. But it was, and she got a lot, lot better. It was a long process. And it was, again, a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And it wasn't only one thing. So the people who only focus on one thing and say, I'm a mold doctor or I'm a Lyme doctor, they're missing the puzzle and they will hit on a few people and get, um, and get results, but they're gonna miss an awfully lot of people because you, you have that tunnel vision. And so that's one of the points I wanna make. Mold is clearly a piece and this woman, I mean, I am telling you this, this woman's skin lesions and it turns out it was in the sinus. There was wow. like fungal thing in the sinus um, ended up needing surgery and IV antibiotics, IV antifungals, very, very severe, one of the most severe. Um, but um, it just goes to show you how we had to peel the onion and uncover all those yeah. things. And it was, it, it can be a long process, but listen, when you're sick for many, many years, you're not getting better yesterday. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much for that, you know, that, that story and kind of tying things together, talking about how it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not necessarily the puzzle, right? And there's always other things. It sounds like some of the extreme cases that, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like some of the extreme cases that you've dealt with are kind of dealing with this perfect storm where they have several other things happening at once. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, usually. Usually that's right. It's not usually one thing. It may be one thing that topples them over the top of the kettle and causes the overt symptomatology. And like I said, frequently that's stress. So a lot of the um, practitioners or physicians out there might say, oh, this is all stress because that's the most obvious, but it's not just stress. It's the person was riding high in their immune kettle and stress put them over. Whereas the other layers, whether it be a covert tick-borne infection or mold exposure, or food allergies and sensitivities, or nutrient deficiency—all those things got them to the level where the stress put them over. So yes, one has to be very, very aware. And for people with significant mold exposure, yes, mold can be the thing that puts them over, and it can't be poo-pooed. It's very real and has to be dealt with, especially if we have to treat tick-borne infection because uh, tick-borne infection or strep infections or mycoplasma or other things that may contribute to immune hyperreactivity and inflammation um, can obviously aggravate fungal issues and mold and fungi are cousins. Yeah. And so you have to be aware of that because we have to treat with antifungals like mestatin or etraconazole. Um, we have to do a lot of probiotics and we have to do a, a lot of detoxifying of the mold with binders and things. But I would always say, and I'm sure you, you know, this is your business, that, you know, getting out of the moldy environment and remediating the mold is crucial. If you yeah. stay in the environment, all the detoxing is, is not going to do it. It's just like, you know, if somebody has hypoglycemia and has to avoid sugar and eat 
small frequent feedings with protein and good fat and, ve and veggies and things. Eating sugar and sugar, you know, all the supplements, the world, the medications are not going to do it. There are things that you have to do sometimes. And obviously mold is one. You, can, you can't just detoxify without getting away from the mold intermediate. Well, it's a good analogy that I came up with that I, that I think you'll like for this one. So imagine your bathtub is overflowing with water, right? Because the faucet's running, you forgot to shut it off. Would you shut the faucet off first and then clean up with towels? Or would you go and start cleaning up with towels and leave the faucet still running? You'd be cleaning up forever, right? So it's kind of a, a, good, a good analogy for those listening. In order to detox, you, you want to stop the exposure first. Otherwise, you're still accumulating toxins that you're trying to remove. It, it doesn't that's, make that's a lot of a, sense. That's a good image of the bathtub. We always use the one here in the rowboat and there's a, uh, a leak. You just yeah. keep on shoving the water out and you plug up the leak. You plug up the leak. There you go. A lot of good analogies there. Um, you brought up a good point earlier that I wanted to touch on, and that was about you know genetic predispositions, right? Um, we've we've all been led to believe at some point or another that genetic predispositions were the big problem, that it was really just these certain people that experienced effects of their environment. I personally don't believe that that to be totally true. I think it's a piece of the puzzle, not the puzzle, kind of what we mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm not a doctor and you are. So I have the opportunity to ask you what your thoughts are on that. Well, I, I think it is a piece of the puzzle. But the problem is a lot of the practitioners that get into all this genetic testing and then they prescribe a million supplements based on the, genetic, the genetics. The genetics and the genomics are a roadmap. And it's okay. It's important. Like I, I check an MTHFR in everybody because it, yeah. it's the uh, it's the gene that codes for the enzyme uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. It's a big name, the MTHFR, but it converts folic acid to uh, eventually to methylfolate, uh, methylfolate, the other way of folinic acid, and methylfolate is the active form of folate that crosses into brain acts in the brain. It's very, very important. So it's, it's important to know if they have that polymorphism, which is, means that if you have one uh, mutation, we look at two different levels. If you have one mutation, you're gonna make a gene that's maybe 30% uh, less efficient. If you have two at the same level, you're gonna be like maybe 70% less efficient. So you have to give the end product, i.e. methylfolate and that, or, or folinic acid in some cases. So there is a, there is a predisposition that's important because you need methylation to detoxify. Um, on the other hand, you're not just treating the genes, you're treating their expression, you're treating the way the genes and the environment interact and the environment is so crucial. So this whole thing about just checking genetics and doing it, it's, it's very helpful. We do like things with pharmacogenetics. If we need psych meds, you can do this whole uh, cheek swab and you can look at a whole range of psych meds and see how this patient's genetics are in terms of metabolizing them. But still, even if you have some of them in the, in the green zone that say there should be no problem, they can still have issues. So it's not that clear cut. So the whole thing with this mold genetics, yes, there is a predisposition, but you're right. If it's part of the immune kettle and it's a significant part, it, it's not just based on, on the genes. Yeah. What I worry about specifically is people that don't have certain genetic predispositions thinking that they don't have to worry about their health, right? That environmental exposure is not a problem. They can eat whatever they want. They can breathe in all the mold, uh, you know, and, and things like that. I think it, it kind of sets this scary mindset because so many people come to me and they're like, my husband, you know, he's, he's fine. It's me that has the bad genes. Right. And so 
people start going down this path where they think that, you know, they're, that something is wrong with them, you know, instead of that, there's the environment, something wrong with the environment. Right. So uh, love your thoughts on that. Well, the the whole thing is they might not be seeing the symptoms yet. So from my analogy, whether I look at and talk to patients about it, they may be laying lower. And just so you know, and this is, it's not to plug anything, but I talk about this in some of the books I've written and the last one, Brain Inflamed, there's a whole chapter on the immune system and it talks about the immune kettle and it, it just shows the way all these relate. And if you're laying low in the immune kettle, then you have the tolerance for many more things. So yes, if genetic predisposition is at the bottom of this, let's say a kettle, and the genetic predisposition is very high, you're gonna be pushed up towards the top. So you can't tolerate it as much because then you're gonna overflow. It still has to have the other levels. Genetics is never gonna just push you over unless it's a severe genetic defect, which is obviously yeah. much less common. But the point is, so a person may be lucky, they may have you know pretty good quote genetic makeup, but that doesn't mean if they pile all these other things, it may take longer, but it, they're going to have effects and it may be down the line. So I agree with you 100%. I mean, you know, some people do get a stacked deck in terms of their genetic predispositions, yeah. but and they may have to do even more to stay healthy. But the people who think that they're, uh, you know, riding free, there's no such thing as a free lunch, as you know, Michael. Man. There's always, it catches there's up always the <laughs> It catches up eventually, right? Um, so we, we actually are at a good, great place to bring up your book and talk about inflammation as we pivot, because as we know, mold is toxigenic, pathogenic, allergenic, right? Depending on the species. But there's also this concern about inflammation. And I think, in my opinion, just based upon the research that I've done, this chronic inflammation is really going to lead to chronic disease, right? And that's the real health crisis and the real epidemic. Um, you know, first off, do you agree with what I just said? And second off, can you can you talk to you know how important inflammation is and how we really need to start paying attention to it? Yeah, well, there's no question. That's a huge thing I'm involved with. Um, and you, you made a point and uh, you chose your words wisely, though you, you maybe didn't. Chronic inflammation is really uh, the key because I think people have to understand that acute inflammation is actually a healing response. When you cut yourself and you look at the edges get red, hopefully it's not pus because then it's infected, but that's even white cells coming to, but you don't want it to get infected with bacteria. But even uh, when, you, when you hurt yourself, you'll see that redness, you'll see maybe a little swelling. That's the, uh, the, the white cells coming to, to try to help heal, to fight inflammation. Actually, though there may be, there, there may be some acute inflammation. And there's a very recent article I just saw in the last couple of days that treating acute back pain, which is acute inflammation with anti-inflammatories, it, the anti-inflammatories may help the acute back pain, but can predispose to chronic back pain because you don't allow the healing aspect of the acute inflammation. So people think all inflammation is bad. It's not really that way. Acute inflammation has a purpose. However, it's if it's overwhelming inflammation or chronic persistent inflammation, those are the problems. And what we're dealing with with chronic degenerative dis- disorders are chronic inflammation. And um, it's one of the things, certainly, you know, we, we know it in the heart. We now know that it's not all cholesterol, but there's inflammation that contributes to heart disease and heart attacks, 
chronic inflammation contributes to a lot of the neurodegenerative disorders, you know, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's even, the childhood disorders, autism, and of course, the mood disorders is what I just wrote the uh, Brain Inflamed about, which is all about inflammation uh, contributing to and or causing neuropsychiatric or neuropsychological symptoms, such as anxiety, depression, um, you know, mood swings, bipolar, even schizophrenia, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, all these kind of disorders can be related to inflammation. And so when we see certain symptoms, and this, this holds true certainly for toxicants uh, like mold, which may cause this whole array of symptoms, the same thing with, you know, so you may see just anxiety, or you just may see dizziness or headaches or fatigue, and, you, and, and the person's really, ah, it's just anxiety. You know, I, I have patients come, oh, you're turning 40, you know, come on, get with the program. You know, it's like, and I say, oh no, 40 is, I just played an hour and a half of intense tennis this morning. That's what I do on Tuesday mornings. I've been doing it for 38 years. And I play, everybody I play is younger than me. Uh, many who are maybe a little better than me, but um, pretty competitive and, uh, you know, uh, um, but I love it. So don't tell me that you're 40 and you're supposed to be tired and achy and, you know, but the other side of it is maybe the only symptoms are anxiety or depression or apathy, loss of motivation, uh, or then some of the more, you know, OCD or panic disorders and stuff. And sometimes the picture in, in uh, toxicants, in allergies and sensitivities and infections, even like Lyme disease, especially in kids, is only neuropsychiatric. The same thing with mold. Mold can usually has a lot more it has more physical symptoms frequently, dizziness, headaches, a lot of sinus problems. You know, the irritant aspect of mold is going to cause respiratory stuff, you know, right. uh, you know, uh, red and dyes, nasal congestion, asthma, maybe a sore throat, post-nasal, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's the irritant aspect and the allergen aspect can do some of the same, but it's the toxin aspect can cause a whole different array of symptoms that can be neurological, psychological, general, like malaise, fatigue. And so it's important to recognize, and that's the whole thing I concentrate in Brain Inflamed, that the reason I wrote the book, quite frankly, is to have people be aware that when you see, especially practitioners, when they see purely psychological symptoms, they may not be psychological in origin. They actually may have an underlying organic medical biological basis. Because if you miss that, and that may be uh, a toxicant like mold, it may be an infection like Lyme or Bartonella, it may be uh, nutrient deficiencies and hormonal imbalances, et cetera, maybe immune hyper uh, reactivity as we see that may be stimulated by toxicants or allergies or especially infections. This whole thing of uh, what, I, what I call a, uh, infection triggered, triggered autoimmune brain inflammation or um, something driving the immune system to cause inflammation in the brain. The key is that if you don't recognize the underlying medical and biological issues that are contributing to those psychological symptoms, you relegate a, a, a child or a teen or adolescent or even an adult to a life of psych meds, therapy, and maybe even institutionalization if they get real bad, when if you treated an infection like Lyme or Bartonella, or if you figured out it was mold and you got them out of the moldy environment and remediated the mold and then detoxified them, and you took care of all the other levels of the immune kettle, you can help these people and get them off psych meds, 
and 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 not have to be in therapy or the whole thing their whole lives because you've dealt with the underlying problem. And that to me is the essential issue. And obviously mold falls into this as do all these hidden infections and immune imbalances, et cetera. No, you know, I've been following these neuropsychiatric uh, studies with respects to um, environmental exposures and chronic inflammation and how these things play a role in our mental health with anxiety and depression. And it, it has me wondering, you know, walking through mental institutions, how many of those people would, would be able to check their environments and help, um, you know, as, a, as opposed to them staying there. So it's really, it's really interesting. Obviously there's, there's legitimate health crises, but uh, mental health crises. But um, I think as we kind of learn more and more about this sector, right, we may be able to help the mental health community community with new additional information of how to spot these types of things and treat them, you know, before they get out of hand. Well, the key is, I, I, I said this in my, the first book I wrote was in 1997 was called The Road to Immunity. And when I said in that book, and I still say it today, and I repeat it with the patients and I, it is if you don't look, you won't see. And if you don't listen, you won't hear. So a patient goes to see a pediatrician. This is a well-meaning pediatrician who wants the best for the child and the mother Tells them, oh, you know, does my kid need zinc? Or they say, oh, no, your kid's eating a usual diet. They're fine, you know. The reality is I check every patient for, I usually do a metabolic profile that looks at, because um, I see mostly complex illness now. That's, uh, sure. So it looks at uh, amino acids, fatty acids, uh, fat-soluble vitamins, um, minerals, toxic metals and a urine organic acid that looks at metabolites that can then clue me in to target my nutrients, to target my, I just, you know, clinically when I spend an hour and a half with a new patient, I have a good sense. Uh, history, if you listen closely, will give you 90% and then you do the physical, but the labs, you need them to confirm. I don't know what a zinc level is. I don't, you know, I, most of the people I see have low or low normal vitamin D levels. Many are deficient in magnesium and, and various of the other vitamins and they may have, they eat a lot of sushi, they may have, uh, you know, high mercury, etc. But the key is, it's not being looked at. And if you don't look at it, you won't see and there is kind of getting poo pooed and oh, it's all your anxiety and this and that. And the reality is, you know, mercury itself can cause, you know, the mad hatter was mercury toxicity with all kinds of psych symptoms that were based on mercury toxicity. So the key is that we have to be aware of it. And just like I said, that's that's what has me have all this the success I've had for the thousands and thousands of patients I've seen over the years is because I really feel like I'm willing to consider all these things. It's really hard, Michael. Trust yeah. me. It, yeah. It's hard. And and I find a lot of the docs that I that I talk to, you know, unfortunately they're they're in corporate medicine now. They don't have the time. They just have to see a patient, give a diagnosis in the medicine and move on. You have to spend the time to put all this together. But that's the only way we're going to get people better with these chronic illnesses. There's no, there's no question in my mind. Yeah. I mean, it seems that health is about balance, right? And when you look at health too much or too little of anything can kill you. Right. So I, I think that it's, it's really important that people do look, I mean, just like when we go into a home, we're utilizing science, we're looking, we're collecting data, we're understanding what's there. Only then can we put together a real plan of how to fix the home. Why should a doctor's office be any different? Totally. I mean, the data, data rules, you know, yeah. I would say data rules, but the caveat of that is intuition has a place as well in healing. So like right. I talk about that with uh, my friends and, and stuff and some in the healing professions is that 
uh, we just had this thing with three of my closest friends I've been friends with since public school. And we were talking about, because one of them is a cardiologist. And uh, the science is key. And we were talking about underlying science. But I made sure I said, yeah, science. And you know, my practice is based on underlying science. But I think the reason that I've been so effective is also that I've developed my intuition. Now that comes with experience. You know, you see thousands sure. of patients. I'll, I'll see a patient and a parent, I'll say, you have an N of one, your child. I have an N of thousands. It makes a big difference when I put that data together in the perspective of my N of thousands and your N of one, which is only your child. It helps me, helps inform my decisions. But the, 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 it also is a matter of having a sense of putting things together in a certain way. And there's a science to that, but there's also an art to that. And I think sometimes yeah. we lose the art of medicine in the, in the huge double-blind placebo-controlled studies, and we forget that there is an art of medicine. There's a patient in front of us, not only lab data, and, or not only data. You know, and the same thing uh, with you probably when you go into the house. You can, there are certain areas that may have a little mold that may not be as consequential as other yeah. areas. And that's, you've, you know, your experience and you've got to put that together for the person because, right? I mean, that's, it's yeah, got to be. Yeah, absolutely right. No, I mean, all the, I, I can give you a case right now where somebody called me and didn't even go there. Uh, was right through Zoom over the phone. They're giving me the lay down. Um, I looked at the reports without even being there. I said, you know what your problem is? you have a, a leak from your, your slab rising up. Sure enough, they checked some of the flooring underneath, mold covered throughout the whole floor. They had to take the whole floor up. So it's, you're right. I mean, there's aptitude, there's intuition, there's experience that play a factor into this. There, it is an art, you know, and it, it obviously takes that determination to want to help people to bring that all together, right? Because it's hard work, dedication that allows those, the recipe for that intuition to to succeed. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, you know, the doctors that are not practicing intuition that are not practicing underlying science that just have a one size fits all protocol for everybody. You know, you don't really see much success stories out of that. They'll score on a couple. They will. Cause if they yeah. hit it, like, you know, it's like, you know, you play the roulette wheel uh, long enough, the same number, you're going to hit that number, but you know, how many times are you going to miss it? You know? Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, I, you know, for me, you know, if I don't have a very, very high percentage of success, I wouldn't be happy. I mean, I always say, totally. you, know, I, you know, my staff worries about me retiring. I say, well, you know, I am working less and I love, I love tennis. I love golf. I live a healthy life, but I'm still working. Why? Because I love it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I feel like it's a, a, you know, it's a gift for me to sit with people and be able to really, you know, contribute to, you know, changing the trajectory of people's lives and especially with kids and teens and then it's the families and the grandparents and the brothers and sisters and the cousins and stuff. So I don't, I, I mean, I treat adults obviously as well as kids, but yeah. it's just, it's, to me, it's, it's always a gift. Yeah. No, it's a, it's really amazing what you've done. A doctor, a savior, a mentor, and a New York times bestselling author. Let's, yeah. let's talk about some of these books. So the, the newest one brain inflamed, we talked how important inflammation is and in, chronic inflammation is into the, the puzzle pieces here. Um, you know, let's talk about what, what made you write the book in the first place? Um, obviously you had to see these patterns to start to want to tell your story. So um, would love to love to ha hop into the mind of, of Dr. Kenneth Bach for just a few minutes. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, uh, uh, my the last book before that was 2007, called "Healing the New Childhood Epidemics: The Four A Disorders: uh, Autism, ADHD, Asthma, and Allergies." And I was the first one really to put that together, the four A's with 
the underlying issues of uh, chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, and toxicants were the three things I said really you have to look at. And so there was a lot of overlap in the, in the four A's. And if it was for adults, it would have been Alzheimer's probably would have been the fifth day, right? So, um, and a lot of times when you have a, real, a book that it's published in numerous languages and it reached people all over the world. And I've had people, I have people on a regular basis travel from all over the world. It was a, less with COVID. COVID really, you know, we, sure. we, we would have, there were, there were days before COVID, we'd have five countries in our office in one day. It was pretty crazy. Um, that chain, now that's actually uh, picking up again, which is very interesting, having people come from all over the world yeah. again. But, but I didn't write another book because I really just didn't want to jump on writing another book. I had written a very, you know, you know bestseller, popular book. But I, as I saw the, the kids with the four A's, the, the parents would say to me, hey, we, our other kid or our other kids have this or that, would you mind seeing them? And a lot of the times it was mood disorder. There was anxiety, depression, OCD, panic disorders, what have you, bipolar. Um, and so I said, sure, yeah, definitely I would like this. And it turns out that a lot of them had very similar things going on, manifesting maybe not to the degree of some of the, of, of the siblings that I was first seeing, but very significant nonetheless. And so after doing that for almost around 10 years, um, or even, I, I said, you know what, this has to be told that, the, that this is not just psychological, that these mood disorders in these uh, children, teens and adolescents are really due to inflammation and the things that contribute to inflammation. Like I said, yeah. underlying infections, you know, strep infections, mycoplasma, t- mycoplasma, tick-borne disease like Lyme and Bartonella and the toxicants like mold and other you know, allergens and all the other things in the immune kettle that I had spoken of. And the one thing that I actually uh, neglected to say that I think when you made your statement about going through the uh, a medical uh, you know, institution and, and could we help these people who are hospitalized maybe for life is gluten and diet. That the, the you know, the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of, I think, inflammation is also contributed to by things in the diet like gluten and sugar. And, and when it comes to mold yeast, you know, yeah. staying away from yeast and foods that contribute to yeast, either they have yeast or they or sugar and, and refined carbs that contribute to yeast and also mold, making sure you, you don't eat foods that, that are high in mold or contribute to that whole burden of yeast, fungi and mold. That diet's very important. And I, 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 I don't want to neglect that because it is very, very yeah. important. But by the time, so I said, you know what? Now I have something to say. I didn't want to just write another book to write another book. Um, I felt like I went and I waited 10 years. I basically yeah. waited 10 years, um, actually probably 14 years because I started writing it. You know, it usually takes about a year and a half, two years. And actually it took a little while to formulate exactly what I wanted to say. I got a great, I have a great agent. Uh, we worked through what, um, uh, you know, what was really the, the message. I, was, I honed it down. And, and I think that that's the, that's the reason I wrote it. And, and I think it's, it's a, I see it already. I mean, it's reaching a lot of people. It's actually published in now six languages, which is pretty crazy. That um, is awesome. I get, these, I get these covers, Germany. I see the cover in German. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's wild. It's, I, I think German, Turkish, Russian, Chinese, and uh, Britain and one other country, whatever. So it's, it, it is wild. And um, because this is a worldwide problem, as you know, everything we're talking about is worldwide. It's not just yeah. America. 
it is it is worldwide. So the bottom line, maybe we can end the the message that I really wanted to the book and and my whole message that I'm trying to get across when I lecture and things is that it is so important, especially as healers, to look and to listen and to not be satisfied with just putting a bandaid on things, to try to figure out what's actually causing things as best you can. And usually it's not just one thing, it's usually a combination of factors. And in doing so, if you can really do that, you, you have the ability to change the trajectory of people's lives. And if it's kids or teens or adolescents, you change not only their lives, but the lives of their parents and siblings and grandparents and cousins and close. So it's, it's really huge. And you, 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 you can save kids from a life seriously, you know, basically full of psych meds, therapy, and maybe institutionalization or, uh, you know, or what have you, uh, or certainly less functional lives. And that is the message. And that's kind of the mission of, uh, uh, of in some way, you know, what my life is dedicated to right now, if you want to kind of uh, funnel it down. So well, you know, that was very well said, you know, really appreciate everything that you do. Uh, we definitely are going to end there because what a powerful way to end. Um, before we go, one last question is where, where can people find you? Where can they get your book? Where can they, what, what's your website? Where else can people connect with you? So the website is Bach, B-O-C-K, Bach Integrative, all one word, and it's integrative is I-V-E, so it's B-O-C-K. I-N-T-E-G-R-A-T-I-V-E dot com. Uh, we're in Red Hook, New York, about two hours, a beautiful community in the Hudson Valley, about two hours north of New York City, right along the Hudson, uh, the Hudson River. And um, the book, I mean, they can get it from the website, but they also can get it from Amazon. It's from all the targets, it's from all the different, uh, you know, booksellers have it. And, um, you know, and then, you know, so it's, it's Bach integrative. And then, you know, we have, we do have something called Bach nutritionals where we have pharmaceutical grade supplements that we use for people with all these issues, including part of the detox for mold and things, uh, binders and homeopathic detox and um, various types of glutathione and N-acetylcysteine. So there are a lot of uh, formulations and, and I, you know, I would just end and this is not a sales pitch, but this is just for people who are listening to understand that if you, when you're going to take nutrients and you're going to take them in a therapeutic way, you want to make sure you get very good pharmaceutical grade types of nutrients. Um, there's a lot of unfortunate nutrients on regular, there's a lot of junk out there. And especially the two, I would say are the very, very most important are probiotics and fish oils. You want to make sure you get very high quality of probiotics and fish. And I listen, vitamin D, vitamin A, you know, they, you know, that's, they are what they are. But uh, I think people have to be very aware, especially with chronic illness. And nutrients are not just thrown, you know, and they're not just bantered about. Nutrients should be well thought out. They should be put together from a clinical perspective, a lab perspective, and, uh, and trying to give people what they need. And hopefully you, you give certain things at certain times, uh, things are sequential and you can taper them. So uh, I, I think that's a message I, I, I also want to leave because the people that you're dealing with with uh, mold exposure and toxicity, they do need high grade nutrients and they need hopefully get somebody who knows what they're doing that can help them, you know, can test them and can and help them get what they need, their bodies need to help them deal with the crises that they are dealing with. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know I learned a lot just by having you in mm-hmm. our presence. So always appreciate a uh, time that we get to chat. I uh, hope everyone else listening learned a lot. Uh, this was a great episode and I will definitely personally be buying uh, your, your supplements because uh, I guarantee you I don't have pharmaceutical grade um, certain things that I should. So thank you for that uh, public service announcement and we'll talk soon. Great. Michael, right. great to speak great. with you.